So if you could stand, I'll read this passage for us, which is all about God's promise and his covenant making and keeping with us. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 20. It's on page 1004 in the Pew Bible. And if you're here this morning and you don't own a Bible, please take that one with you. We would love to have you read through the book of Hebrews and read through the Bible, and we'll replace that Bible. And as you do, if you have any questions about it, please email me, and I'd love to connect with you and talk about God's Word with you. Let's look at it together now this morning. Hebrews 6, starting in verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham... Since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having waited patiently, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, in which is it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. God, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would speak through it this morning. We hold this in our hands as a book or on our phones as a digital copy. But we believe that it is the living, active word of God, that it's more than just a book. It's the, the power of God that reveals our thoughts and our intents and our hearts, and it exposes our deepest, greatest needs and fears. And in that exposure, it heals us. So God, I pray that you would meet each one of us where we're at this morning, that you would use your word, this word, to draw us to where you desire us to be, in your presence, where there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. We ask that you would do this now, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Amen, you may have a seat. This is an incredible passage about the promises of God. And, and I love the, the word sure that is used here. The, the word sure is being used actually a few times in this passage. If you look up ahead, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9, which we covered last week, the preacher of Hebrews is using this word sure. And I think it's important for us this morning. He says in verse 9, though we speak this way, this is after his warning that he gave us last week, though we speak this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. There's an assuredness about his speech. He is trying to get his hearers to, to feel a sense of security, to feel a sense of assuredness. He's trying to get them to feel sure. And then as we just read in chapter 6, verse 19, he says, We have this, a sure and steadfast anchor for our soul. He's using this word sure, this, this word steadfast, and this picture of an anchor saying that you, that I, that anyone who would hear this original sermon in the first century or anyone who would read this trans, transcribed sermon over the years would have a sureness in our soul, that we would have a confidence about who God is and what God has done. 
that we would go about life as stable people, not tossed to and fro by the waves, as James chapter 1 talks about. James chapter 1 says, if you lack wisdom, ask God. For we don't want to be tossed to and fro by the waves with every, every challenge, every circumstance that comes up in our lives. We can't be tossed to and fro. That's no way to live. But we need a sure and steadfast anchor for our soul. So that when trials and tribulations come as they will, when testing comes, when less than ideal circumstances come, that we can be anchored, that our souls can be safe, that our souls can be secure, that we won't be tossed to and fro, that our emotions, that our reactions, that our perspectives, that our assumptions won't, won't teeter and totter back and forth, that we would have a sense of stability. Isn't this necessary for us in our life? And, and I think as we look out in the world, we see kind of on the surface, it seems like there's people who are very, very unstable. Um, you've probably seen people like that. Maybe you are that person. Maybe you have that person in your life. They're just, they're just chaotic and everything seems out of control all the time in their life. And they're just unstable and unsure about things. And then maybe you look out and you observe people that seem very sure and very stable. They're steady. They're consistent. It seems like they have it all figured out. And I think as, so this is true, we look out and we see people like that, and there are some people who are steady and sure and stable. But I think oftentimes when we look out and we see people who appear that way, it's not a true anchoredness to their soul. They may seem steady on the surface. In fact, sometimes I feel this way. I think sometimes people look at me and they see, at least from the, from the outside, they look at a middle-class white boy who's married with three kids, has a home, has a stable job, and they see stability, right? Looking up from the outside, looking in, I'm supposed to be in a privileged position here in America. I'm a middle-class white guy who has a wife, three kids, and a middle-class, middle-income job. Sometimes we look at that and we see a picture of stability, and we compare that to people who may not have that outward level of stability and think, okay, that's what stability looks like, and that's what instability looks like. But I was reminded this week that any picture of stability that anyone may have of my life from the outside looking in is purely a gracious gift of God. It's nothing that I've done, it's nothing that I have, and it's, in fact, it's only what God has done and continues to do in my life, and it's something that is available to all of us, that we all have an unsteadiness about us. We all have an unsureness about us. Internally, in my soul, I wrestle with insecurity and instability, and I'm unsteady. I got a text from my dad this week, actually, that reminded me of this, where I come from. So on the surface, I may look stable, but my story, my life story is anything but stability. It's only about God and his faithfulness and his ability to change lives, to transform people, to take instable, unsteady people and transform them into stable, steadfast people. This text from my dad was, we were texting back and forth about something that we were experiencing this week, and I was thanking him and my mom for some, for some of the things that they did in my life as I was growing up. And here's what my dad responded with. He said, God has done exceedingly more than all we could ask or think. His word is true and righteous altogether. Your mom was a single mother having to stretch every penny to support your older brother and sister, Yet she faithfully tithed and found comfort and strength to press on under the word of God, particularly Psalm 27. 
So my mom was married at a young age and had two children and then had a really rough marriage and, and went through a divorce. And so she was a single mother raising my older brother and sister and clinging to God's word. A lot of instability there, a lot of, a lot of questions, a lot of doubts. She didn't know where her life was going or what, what her life looked like, but she clung to Psalm 27. She claimed it as God's promise to her. And then my dad writes, I was a lost, divorced young adult who stumbled into a small church in Duluth, Minnesota to hear the promise of God in Joel 2, 25 through 26, which says this, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. You shall eat and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. My dad's story is that of a little guy growing up in a Catholic home, a Catholic school, and kind of having a foundation of God's faithfulness kind of, kind of um, forced into him in that Catholic school, and then he wandered away from it and um, kind of ran from God and got married early and just kind of lived a hippie lifestyle. And then his life was falling apart, and he walked into this church and heard this passage from Joel. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten. And he heard that, and he thought, okay, my life is unstable. I'm, in the middle, I'm 26, in the middle of going through a divorce, and my life is in shambles. My life is instable. I need something. I need help. And he heard this promise from God. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. You shall eat and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. He's, and then he goes on to say, my dad in this text, he says, this changed the tra trajectory of my life. Each step of the way, God has unfolded his story for us. Both your mom and I have felt inadequate each step of the way. But it's truly amazing to see what he has done. And if you know my family, they're a part of our church. They're not here in this service. They'll probably be in the next service. We are a bunch of inadequate people. We are unstable. We are unsteady. I know my parents. I love my parents. Um, but we, we're not the picture of success. I mean, I just, I know my own insecurities. I know my own instability. I know who I am. And so if you are here this morning thinking you don't have a whole lot to offer, that you are unstable, that you are unsteady, I connect with you. I identify with you. That's what I come from. That's my family's story. But underneath the surface is God here pulling us together. He is unfolding his story. As my dad said, we've felt inadequate, but what God has done is truly amazing. And so what we see here in this passage this morning is God's faithfulness to fulfill his promises. That it has nothing to do with us, but it has everything to do with God. In fact, I think the preacher of Hebrews here, he, he appeals in this passage to, not to our ability to believe in God. I, as a pastor... And as a Peterson, I have a shaky, questionable ability to believe in God. So the preacher of Hebrews isn't appealing to my ability to believe in God and my strength and my stability and my security and my ability to be able to do it. Instead, what he is doing is appealing to God's believability as the necessary anchor for our soul. 
If you feel like you need an anchor for your soul, if you feel like you need stability in life, if you feel like you, like you need to experience more of God, and something has to clear all the chaos out and give you a sense of meaning and purpose. Don't look inward. Look upward. Look to Jesus Christ. Don't look to your ability to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and trust God, but look to God and his believability. His ability to fulfill his promises, that is what is happening here in this text today. This is a sermon given in the first century, and there's, there's all these Jewish Christians and Jews who are considering Christianity, and they're being tested. Their culture is unstable. There's all this testing going on. They don't know if they're going to persevere in their faith. They don't know if they believe this whole Jesus thing, that Jesus is the promised Messiah. They have doubts. They have questions. So the writer of Hebrews, as he goes through this sermon, he's saying, look to God. Look to what he has done. I think we'll follow his flow of argument here in this passage, and hopefully we'll see God's promises come to life here. He starts by pointing his hearers to the God of promise. Look at verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, okay, so the preacher of Hebrews is saying, God made a promise. God, Yahweh, the one that we're talking about, the the subject of this sermon, he is a God of promise. He called this guy Abram a nobody. Abram was nothing special. He was like any one of us, just another person going about their life, minding their business, trying to find his own level of surety and stability with his job, with his family, trying to just organize his house and keep life together. And God called out to him. This is in Genesis chapter 12. You can read it on your own later. God calls out to Abram and he says, Abram, I will make you a great nation. I will change your name to Abraham, and out of you I will bless the nations of the world. God makes a covenant. He makes a promise to Abraham. Abraham. Abram, and he becomes Abraham. God is a God of promise. He calls out to us, and he gives us promises. So the preacher of Hebrews is appealing back to Abram, back to Abraham, and saying, remember God's promise to Abraham. He promised this guy that he would make him a great nation. And over the years, God built the nation of Israel. And it took time, and Abraham had to wait, and he had to be patient. But God promised. It starts. Life transformation, life change starts with the promise of God. It starts with taking him at his word, hearing his word, trusting him, and learning to trust him, learning to walk into that. So if you're in a place this morning where you need to see life transformation, where you need to see stability and surety in your life, it starts with the promise of God, the God of promise, the God who makes promises to his kids and to his people. God calls out to Abraham with a promise. In fact, I I tried to figure out how many promises of God there are in Scripture and I didn't have enough time to read the entire Bible between 8.30 last night and right now and then chart out my own, how many promises I could find. So I I did some of my own looking, and then I also did some Google search. Um, If you ever need to figure out how to do some sermon prep, just do some Google search, and I can help you figure out which articles to read and which ones not to read. But in my my extensive Google research, it seems like there's likely between 5,000 and 7,000 promises of God in Scripture. Don't, don't hold me to that. I didn't have time to dig in deep enough to that. But there's promises all over the pages of Scripture. God making promises to his people. He is the God of promise. 
throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, he communicates to his people. He makes promises to his people. He says, I have good for you. Here's what I'm going to do for you. Here's what this relationship looks like. Here's the covenant piece. I will keep my covenant. I am a faithful God, a God of promise. And so he calls out, as the writer of Hebrews says, God made a promise to Abraham. That's where he picks it up. But even before that, God had made promises to Adam and Eve and to Noah and to those who came before Abraham. And he goes into verse 16 and 18. He says, For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So the culture here in the first century, they would make oaths. They had all different types of oaths that they would make to make a contract with people, to make agreements with people. And the author of Hebrews here is saying that God doesn't make a simple contract. He makes a covenant. He swears it with an oath. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, that was the Israelites, the Jewish people, and now in Christ, it's the Gentiles as well, all of people who would turn to Jesus Christ. When God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. God is a God of promise. If you need stability in your life, a way to grow in stability, a way to experience the goodness of God is to get to know his promises. I said there's probably between 5,000 and 7,000 promises, so it's going to take some time to get to know them. But I encourage us, church, if we want to grow in our stability, get to know the promises of God and cling to the promises of God. As you do that, we need to learn to read the Bible through a couple, through a couple different lenses, but one is to look at promises and principles. Sometimes people become unstable because they read a principle in God's word where God has communicated a general principle. The, the book of Proverbs has a lot of these where it says if you train a child, if you raise a child in the way that they should go, when they are old, they will not depart from it. That's a principle. That's generally true. And so if you raise a child in the way that they should go, generally they will walk in that way as they grow. That's not a promise or a guarantee though. So if you're a parent who has a wayward child that's clung to that as a promise of God, you may be distraught because that's a principle that's generally true, not a promise from God. So as we read through Scripture, we need to understand that there are principles and there are promises. And we need to do a little bit of work. We need to do a little bit of research. We need to consider the context to know, is God giving me a principle or a promise here? But when we find a promise of God, we cling to the promise of God. Because God's promises always come true. He is the God of promise. He has promised us many things throughout the scriptures. I don't have time to list a bunch out this morning. We'll get to one incredible promise at the end of the sermon. But if we want to grow in our surety, in our stability, we need to study God's word, find his promises, cling to his promises. Here's just a practical example. So this morning, I'm standing up in front of a bunch of you preaching with very little preparation. That could create a lot of anxiety. But I know, and I can't, off the top of my head, I can't think of the passage, but I know that God has said that his word is faithful and that it will not return void. I think it's somewhere in Isaiah. That's a promise of God, that his word will go out and it will not return void. 
that it will produce fruit, that it will produce growth. So when I'm standing up here preaching on little preparation, I can stand here without anxiety, praise the Lord, because of his promise. He cares more about his word going out in power and effect this morning than I do. He cares more about his word doing the job that he intends it to do this morning than I had time to prepare. So in God's grace, in God's promise, his promises help me to, um, to move from a place of anxiety into a place of trust. Do you understand how that works? I mean, it's like if you're having financial problems. Look through the scriptures and see what God says about money and say, okay, even though the circumstances may not change instantly or ever, what does God say about my money? What are God's promises to take care of me? Luke chapter 12 is one of my favorites for this. Actually, let's look there. Let's look at another example because I didn't prepare a ton today. We're going to get all the random things that come to mind. Luke chapter 12. Let's see how the promises of God give us stability and surety. This passage has over and over again been something that I've clung to when I've had financial issues in my life and, and questions and concerns. And, and life happens, right? I mean, surety and stability, if we're looking outward, if we're looking at the circumstances of life, it is almost impossible to find stability. So when I've had financial instability, what I've done is look to God's promises, and it's taken away my anxiety. He says in Luke chapter 12, oh, where am I going to start? This is a long passage, and it's great. I'm going to start in verse 22. And he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Anxiety comes from not knowing God's promises, not believing God's promises, not trusting God's promises. So he says to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will put on. I've been in seasons of my own life where I've been anxious about what I will eat, what I will wear, because finances weren't there. Verse 23, he says, For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes, clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Listen to that promise. So when I've had financial instability in my life, I've gone to that promise and said, okay, if I seek God and his kingdom, his promise is to provide for me the things that I need. Stop worrying. If we want to grow in stability and security. We need to know the promises of God, get to know what he has promised, get to know him, the God of promise, and trust him. And the author of Hebrews kind of goes on. So that's, he starts with the promises of God. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 6. He starts with the promises of God, and then and he says there is a little bit of, um, uh, there, there's a little bit of responsibility for us, that we need to patiently trust God to unfold his promises. So he starts by saying, God made a promise to Abraham 
Since there was no, verse 13, since there was no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. God, the greatest one, says, I'm making an oath. I'm swearing by myself by the name of Yahweh. Verse 14, I will bless you and multiply you. Abraham, trust me. This is my promise to you. I will, tr- I will bless you and multiply you, making you a great nation. Verse 15, and thus Abraham, having waited patiently, obtained the promise. So he calls us to be a people of patience. He gave a promise to Abraham, but it required patience for Abraham to experience the benefits of that promise. Sometimes we have a hard time in this position, don't we? We have anxiety in life and insecurity about life and and a lack of stability in our life. And we look at God's promises and we say, okay, God, you promised this. I want it here now. Where is it? You've promised this. And, And he may be saying, like Abraham, patiently wait. I will fulfill my promise. I always fulfill my promise, but it may not be overnight. Some of these promises Abraham received in his lifetime, some of the promises that God gave him, Abraham never received in his lifetime. They came years later. I mean, God called Abraham to leave his family, to leave his country and to follow him. And he said, I will make you a great nation. And for 25 years, Abraham's wife, Sarah, remained barren, not able to get pregnant. So God promised to make him a great nation and he was unable to have a son for 25 years. He had to patiently wait and trust God and follow God through the waiting. And then eventually he had his son and it wasn't until years down the road that that son had a son and that son had 12 sons, the, the tribes of Judah. And so God now makes this great nation, but Abraham had since passed away. And so we need to be a people of patience. Verse 12, it says, And thus Abraham, having waited, patiently waited, obtained the promise. Some of God's promises will come to pass quickly. And when we know his promises and cling to his promises, some of them will minister to us in the moment of despair. Some of them are just pointing us to the future and saying, Continue to trust me. This may not come to pass for a while, but trust me. Follow me, patiently wait, and walk with me. If we're experiencing instability, we need to walk in patience as we trust God to fulfill his word. Then he goes on to look at the God of fulfillment. So he says, this is the God of promise. You are a people who needs patience, and then God is a God of fulfillment. He always fulfills his promises. That's why we can patiently wait. Look at verse 17. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place, the curtain, where Jesus, that's the fulfillment of God's promise, Jesus the Christ, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Having become a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, the Old Testament promises were pointing the people to a Messiah. They were pointing a people to their need for a Savior. And here in this passage, we see that God is a God of final fulfillment. He fulfills his promises, fulfills all of them in Jesus the Christ. Jesus is the covenant keeper. Jesus is the one who fulfills our end of the covenant. He upholds, he fulfills, he is the promise 
of God. Chapter 8 of Hebrews is all about this. Look over at it with me. Look at chapter 8, verse 6. It says, but as, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is, a, that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. The author of Hebrews, the preacher of Hebrews is saying, God has made all these promises. They are good for you. You need to know them. And the ultimate promise that you need to know is that Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior has come. He is the one that all of God's promises are fulfilled in and through and by. And so if you want sure, if you, if you want to feel sure in your soul, if you want to feel stable, if you want to be steadied, you look to Jesus as the ultimate promise fulfillment of God. God is a God of fulfillment. He fulfills all of his promises primarily in the person of Jesus Christ. And then look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, which is on page 964 in the Pew Bible. I love how the Apostle Paul says this here in this passage. So Paul is writing to this church who... who in context here, Paul is writing to the church in, in Corinth, and they think he's double-minded. They think he's unstable because he has said he wants to come visit them, and he hasn't come to visit them yet. And so they think he's not a man of his word. They think he's an unstable individual who can't be trusted. And so he goes on to say, no, I'm not unstable. God prevented me from coming. That's why I haven't come. It's not me being flake. It's not me flaking out on my word. But then he, he look at what he says about God. So he's saying, okay, if... If God has transformed me, I want to mirror him. I want to grow in stability. I'm not going to lie to you. And then verse 20 of chapter 1. He says, For all the promises of God find their yes and amen in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. All the promises of God are yes and amen in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is God's fulfillment. Jesus is the ultimate promise fulfiller. So the pressure isn't on us to uphold our end of the bargain. As we saw in the video, as we see throughout the scriptures, we are covenant breakers. Jesus is the ultimate covenant maker and sustainer. He fulfills our end of the deal. God is a God of fulfillment. We see that in the person of of Jesus Christ. And then the benefit here for us is that we are a people fulfilled. Because God fulfills his covenant promises, we as a people can be fulfilled. We can live life. We can grow. God can take us from our place of instability and, and unsureness, our uncertainty in life, and he can lead us. He can transform us into a place where we actually feel fulfilled. That's what that text between my dad and I was all about. It was, it was my dad's heart from being a young divorced guy, not knowing where his life was going, feeling like his life was in shambles, to looking back and saying, look at what God has done in my life. God, God fulfilled his promise that he made to me that one day in that church in Duluth, Joel, I will restore to you the years that the locust have, has eaten. He's saying, God fulfilled his promise in Jesus the Christ. He has restored our family. He has taken an unstable family and moved us towards a place of stability because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. We can be a people, I can be a person, you can be people who are fulfilled by the living God, 
who have the presence of the living God, a people who are fulfilled. Verse 19, we have this. What's the this? The promises of God fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. We have this as a sure and steady anchor of the soul. That's our hope. That's our stability. That's our certainty. God's promise fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. We have this as a sure and steady anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We'll get into Melchizedek next Sunday. But for this Sunday, I want us to just end on verse 19. We have this, the promises of God fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ as a sure and steady anchor of the soul. We don't need to go about life being tossed to and fro by the waves with every test, every trial, every circumstance causing us to question, causing us to doubt, causing us to stress, causing anxiety in our life. If we cling to the promises of God, get to know them. It takes time to get to know them. Get to know them and then ultimately understand how they're fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. With that comes a sure and steady, steadfast anchor for our soul. God longs for each of us to live our lives in that way, where we're not tossed around, where we're not unstable, where we're not uncertain, but we're stable and we're sure. That comes through Jesus Christ. And this morning, as we respond to God's word, we're going to take communion. Communion offers us a chance to remember and cling to the ultimate promise of God, Jesus Christ. Right? I mean, Scripture is filled with promises. I promise to bless you and to make you a great nation. I promise to provide for you. I promise that I will give you food and clothing. Those are great promises that we desperately need in our day-to-day life. But the ultimate promise is I promise to bring you home to be with me forever through my Son, your Savior, Jesus the Christ. And so communion offers us a chance to remember that promise, that one who is greater came and took our place that his body was broken in our place, that his blood was shed instead of ours, that we might have hope in new life. So we're going to respond to the gospel now with communion. We're going to pass the plates. And I, I just ask you to reflect on that reality, that Jesus, the one who is greater, paved the way for you to enter the presence of God. He is working on your behalf to bring you stability and certainty in your life. Let's build our life on the foundation of him. Let's trust him. Let's receive communion as a reminder that he is the one who brings us stability. So I'm going to call the communion service forward and we're going to pass the plates today and spend some time sitting and reflecting. Do you know the promises of God? Do you trust the promises of God? And ultimately, have you trusted the promise of God in the person of Jesus Christ? as a fulfillment of your soul. As the elements come, you can hold them and take them as you feel led, as you feel ready, and just respond to the gospel as the Spirit leads. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. You are the God of promise. How good it is for our souls to have promises made that have been kept. I know every one of us in this room, we've probably had promises made to us that haven't been kept by by people that we respect and people that we look up to and Um, the kind of damage and crushing that that can do on our soul. 
And yet in you we have a good Father who has fulfilled all of his promises, who continues to fulfill all of his promises. And as we look now again at the person of Jesus Christ, as we're reminded of him by the elements, I pray that it would be a powerful and needed reminder for us that all of the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus, who these elements remind us of. So nourish our souls now as we respond. In your name, Jesus. Amen.